Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-Yard NFL Podcast. Yes, welcome in, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Another week of NFL football is in the can. And boy, oh boy, can you tell we've reached October, gents? Firstly, it's back in London, which is always great to see. But secondly, and more important to note, it's bloody freezing. And it's too expensive to put your heating on. So I'm sitting here dithering in my hoodie for an evening. But uh, joined by the boys for another fun week, I'm sure. Josh, welcome in, mate. How are you, pal? Yeah, I'm bloody freezing as well, mate, to be fair. Um, one thing which I'm not freezing on, though, is being able to pick some of these games. I've ended up rinsing the bookies for 500 quid this week. So even though the Browns lost, I was able to console myself with putting the heating on tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much all we're going to be able to do at this rate. You have to win in order to keep your, keep the lights on and the and the house heated. But apart from that, mate... Sound as a pound. Glad to be on here with you for yet another for yet another Monday to talk through some NFL football. Yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Joined once again by James as Steve is still over in the States. I'm pleased to say that Steve did get some tickets for that Jags game. And I think he got a little bit wet, but I'm sure he would have enjoyed himself in the end after a bit of a bit of a dodgy start. We'll get into that. But James, welcome back for a second week running, mate. How are you, pal? Yeah, glad to be back again. Um, I'll be sad to rescind the seat, but um, I'll keep it dry for him. But uh, nah, I'm, I'm I'm also cold, about as cold as a Steelers offense. But um, <laughs> we, yeah, it's all it's all good now, mate. King Kenny's in. We'll talk about that as well in a minute. We'll get but, to that. Um, <laughs> Well, um, we'll start as we have done throughout the course of this season, fellas. Let's start with something that we love this week. Josh, let's start with you. What what did you love this week in the NFL in particular? Uh, you, you know what? It's the fact that the NFL is just consistently inconsistent. You know, every week seems to be something, something different and something that makes you make makes your mouth open and go, "I'm sorry, what?" This week, you've had the fact that the Saints and the Vikings game looked like it was going to complete, you know, boring, you know, typical London game where a team strolls to a victory, then the Saints come out of nowhere, and then that ends up you know, going through a double doink. And then last night, as I'm tearing my hair out, watching the Cardinals unable to get past Baker Mayfield's Panthers for three quarters, and Aaron Rodgers not being able to beat Bailey Zappi, of which, first of all, why is his name not Zappi? It should definitely be Zappi. You're, you're an NFL quarterback. Zappi, not Zappi. Come on. But you know, being able to you know have these have these games and these little intricacies and all these very very you know small point games where most games I think ended up being settled by less than a TD, you know it's it, it is a sight to behold nowadays. It is such a competitive league. Yeah, most definitely. More and more games seem when you only settle by that one score. Um, does really keep you on the on the edge of your seat. We'll talk about the London game 
in a minute because, like you say, it, um, it built to a really exciting crescendo after a, a little bit of a slow start. But uh, like I say, we'll get into that in a minute. James, let's turn to you, mate. I think your uh, what you loved was uh, on the opposite end of the scale. It wasn't a tight and uh, boring game. It was a, a scoring explosion, mate. Take us through it. Technically, it was tight when you kind of look at it. There was only a three-point difference in the end. But Scorigami, and it's it's a, I don't, for those who are unfamiliar with it, it's a phenomenon where um, like unique scores in the NFL. So um, there's a website and a Twitter feed that have tracked all the results in NFL history. And the Seahawks 48-45 victory over the Lions was the 1,073rd different unique scoreline in the NFL. So in all the years that we've been that the sport has been played, 48-45 is not an official scoreline until yesterday. It's <laughs> these little mad things are incredible. And that game was just madness. And I loved it. <laughs> it was it was like the Lions in general. Yeah, the Lions yeah. in general are just madness at the moment. They they'll score for fun, but they'll also just carry you into the end zone as well. And they don't need any of their like, you know, they don't even need their like primary weapons to be particularly scoring. There was no DeAndre Swift, there was no Amon Ra St. Brown, there was no DJ Chark. So effectively, TJ Hawkinson decided, you know what, everyone on my back, and Jared Goff was like, well, let me take some of the weight as well. Uh, Jamal Williams stepped up. It was just, I mean, that was just bro, <laughs> that was just so much fun. It was. It was an incredible game. Um, like you say, Scorigami, again, I got all excited because it looked like Scorigami was going to come in and then the Lions scored a touchdown. I thought, oh, no, they've ruined it. I need to realise that 48-45 uh, was also going to be Scorigami. So I believe that means 48-38 is still waiting to happen. So uh do find it, it strange that uh, some of these combinations have never happened in all of the years of NFL football, but... Uh, yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good little follow that one. Um, always enjoy a bit of scoregami on a Sunday night. Um, in terms of me, what did I love this weekend? Um, do you know what? I love the fact that it was back in London. I love the London games, really do. I think it makes a Sunday afternoon. You know, when you got four back to back, it's really really exciting. I think you know this this one that's upcoming this weekend is one that. Fans have waited for for a long time in terms of the Packers. We'll probably talk about that a little bit towards the back end of the um, of the episode tonight. But you know, to see the NFL back and to see it back in all of its glory, and what I mean by that is all of the pre-show events, the tailgating, all of that kind of stuff, actually back on a grander scale. It's obviously been much reduced the last couple of years through obvious circumstances. Um, you know, but to actually have all of the events in and around the game to make it feel like a big special occasion once again um, was great. And look, we've been very, very fortunate, haven't we, that the NFL decided their expansion was going to start in the UK. Um, obviously, games now in other countries, and you know, let's just hope that that doesn't mean that you know this NFL football that we've become almost accustomed to now starts disappearing. Um, because that will be a real, real shame. It's obviously, you know, two or three weekends a year that people really do look forward to. I know I'm looking forward to going down in a month's time. I've got tickets to the Wembley game this year. I know a few of the lads in the group were down at uh, Tottenham this weekend, and I'm sure a few will be there this weekend as well. So great to see football back on um, on this side of the Atlantic. But um, go on, Josh, you want to say something before I move on? Yeah, which, which one is that? Who are the Jags playing? The Broncos. Broncos. 
Oh, turns out that's actually a really good game then. You know, before and when they first went on sale, it didn't seem like a great game at all, did it? All of a sudden, you know, obviously the next few weeks will tell, but that has suddenly become a really tasty game. No, it certainly has. And uh, ironically, the one that's upcoming this weekend is the first time a London game will have two teams with winning records. Can you believe that? (laughs) 14 years in. No, it's because it's got first, the New York Giants in it. <laughs> so, first, no, I can't believe it. First time. First time it's ever happened. But, right, let's um, let's go back then, fellas, because I want to start this week in terms of some of the sort of controversy and some of the things we're going to talk about. And I want to go back to Thursday night football. We don't cover it usually an awful lot on the pod um, because, obviously, it's been a few days removed and, obviously, people are sort of very much thinking about what happened um, last night in terms of the Sunday slot. But I don't want to necessarily talk about the game too much. The Bengals getting back on the win column, 27-15 over the Miami Dolphins. I want to talk specifically about the situation with Tua, because we were on the podcast last week. Um, I need to stop being so sort of nice and just imagining that everybody does the right thing all the time. Because I said, Probably nothing to worry about. I'm sure they'd have gone through all the concussion protocols and there would have been no chance this guy would have been let on the field if there were any issues. Here we are now, a week later, a horrible, horrible, horrible looking incident on Thursday night football, which was obviously compounded by what had happened the weekend before. And obviously that was then becoming very fresh in everybody's mind. Um, But for those of you that have been living under a rock, obviously Tua took a sack. Nothing wrong with the sack, but it was just a, a sort of violent way that he actually ended up being almost thrown to the ground. His head hitting the turf again, which is obviously the issue that happened in the previous game. Um, and then there's obviously those images, the disturbing images of, of two are in what's sort of known as the fencing position, uh, you know, which effectively meant that his arms and, and fingers were in very unnatural positions. Um, and obviously he did not return to this game and his status moving forward will obviously be under close evaluation. I want to talk though, fellas, about a couple of things. Firstly, that's the comments from Mike McDaniel, which was that Tua was fortunate that he got nothing more than a concussion, which really kind of downplayed the fact that this is a very, very serious injury. Um, The league has had issues historically. There's obviously been a lot of research. There's been some controversial documentaries, etc., etc., so, question one, I suppose, is do we think that people within the game have actually got a grasp on how serious this actually is? And then secondly, in terms of Tua in particular, and whether it be Tua, you could substitute it for Patrick Mahomes, you could substitute it for Joe Burrow, who was on the opposite side of the field on Thursday night. If a player is of a certain status, either the quarterback or a star player on the team, do we think that these things are looked at differently because as much as we want to believe it's an independent person you can probably guarantee that somebody from the team having a little word in the ear saying oh come on we need him for this game this is going to be important for our season etc etc James I'll throw it to you first mate either answer one or both mate but um, concussions much again like I say massively in the news this week yeah it's it was a tough one I was almost inclined last you know, last week to actually believe that it was actually a spinal thing. But and it, when you sort of look at the wider picture, it's sort of hard to disagree with, you know, with the fact that the two are interlinked. And it's it's neurotrauma in both senses, whether it be through the head, through the spine, what through the nervous system, whatever. So it's 
it's clear. It, I mean, it's pretty obvious that they haven't necessarily got a clue that in terms of, you know, the seriousness of it, the fact that they're already looking at changing the rules, it's a case of it's reactive rather than proactive once again, um, which, you know, is sadly what we've come to expect sometimes from the NFL, but especially when it comes to player safety. But um, yeah, it's it's just not a good situation to be in full stop. He obviously won't be playing sort of next week and it'll be a closer scrutiny. In terms of whether um, star players get a different treatment, um, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, I probably didn't, about, um, I think it was one of the Manning brothers, I think it was Peyton, um, deliberately flunked the concussion test that they used to determine sort of the, you know, the level of concussion so that it was a lower threshold for him to get out of it. Now, I don't know whether that, you know, how, whether that is still the methodology that's used, but it, it seems very easy to get around that kind of methodology. So the question essentially would be, you know, is their method of determining how concussed the player is, is it, is it basically uncheatable, which I'm going to pretty much guess it, that you can cheat it quite comfortably. And then to, you know, how many, how often do players actually do this sort of thing? So it's, it's one of those up to the powers that be, but I think they need some kind of different test that is not based on a player determining answers to a test or something like that. It has to be something a bit more in-depth and much less subjective. Yeah, Josh, what's your view on it, mate? I mean, it, it's one of those, isn't it? I suppose the star players, it becomes much more of a storyline then because of the name involved. I suppose, really, if you're a guy that's number 53 on the roster you're probably going to want to do everything you absolutely can to get back in the game because ultimately somebody else might be taking your place. So, I mean, ultimately, this is about player safety. Reputation shouldn't come into it, but I can't help but feel with things that we've seen. And I wasn't aware of, of that story with, with with Manning. But again, you know, you can certainly believe that to be the case. It, you know, it is something that the league do desperately need to get a handle on before, you know, the situation becomes even worse. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually think that, that what you've just said is something of which could be taken in a different direction. So obviously this becomes much more of a storyline. Therefore the league should be doing more to stop, to, you know, to stop it from becoming a storyline. Tua should not have stepped back on the field against the bills. Um, should not, um, you know, what should not have taken the field against the Bengals. Not a chance. You could tell that that was something to do with his head. Back spasms don't make you do that. You know, I don't, I don't care what you say. You know, they, they don't make it. You know, you look at Patrick Mahomes against the Browns in the divisional playoff two years ago. The way of which he fell to the ground, you know, wobbled and fell to the ground. That was a concussion. The exact same thing happened here. And then you've got such dangerous things like, um, you know, the, uh, second impact injuries of second, second impact syndrome, I think they call it SIS, of which is so much more damaging as well. You know, as a team, do you do you want to be taking the risk of that with your multi-million dollar asset if you're going to break it down into numbers? Surely not, because then you've lost a player not only for a number of weeks, but maybe also that's his entire career done as well so if you look at it from a from a money ball perspective it's not right if the league looks at it from an optics perspective your quarterback constantly getting hit in the head 
is not going to look good at all. We wouldn't be talking about this if it wasn't someone like Tua, if it was person 53. Um, you know, and the quarterback is obviously one of the most vulnerable positions because of obviously the targeting for sacks, etc. You know, so I I agree with you that there is probably a there's definitely a team angle to suggest that you should be looking for ways around it from a team perspective. But realistically, if you look at optics and also the long term, you should be doing everything possible to be as cautious as possible with your prized asset. Yeah, no, definitely. And like I so said, I was very much in the same camp as James. Like I so said, I just assumed last week that all the protocols would have been followed, that you know everybody would have been ultra-cautious. It does seem to be the first one that sprung up in a while. The, the league do seem to have clamped down on it relatively well in recent times. But like I so said, over the last week, a few of these things have been called into question. Obviously, the supposedly independent neurologist that was actually on site from that game has been removed from that position um obviously the nflpa's investigation is still ongoing so we'll probably comment on it further as and when something um actually concrete comes out of that but yeah it was a worrying worrying sight last thursday um but it, it's really started a little bit of a trend in terms of backup quarterbacks coming in you know for various different reasons you look around the league at the moment you know miami have got their second choice quarterback cleveland second choice quarterback for different reasons, obviously, and you can go through the league and there's an awful lot of people now that that are playing, you know, Bailey Zappe, as you mentioned earlier, and he was third on the depth chart a few weeks ago. But James, as we've got you on, I want to talk about the man in Pittsburgh and that being Kenny Pickett. We sort of speculated how long it might be until he saw the field. I think the general consensus was that we felt the Steelers would probably wait until their bye week, which is, I believe, something like week eight or week nine. Um, it felt like, yeah, felt like a fairly natural position to do it, assuming that the season was sort of going to pan out that we thought it made, that the Steelers were in a bit of a rebuilding mode. Um, but obviously, despite his sort of comments in the media, very unmike Tomlin liked to go against his own commentary, but he's pulled the trigger as early as in-game during week four. So talk us a little bit about how he actually performed when he was on there. I know what the stat line will tell you in terms of interceptions. I think all three of those, you could probably say, you could really just wipe off in terms of not necessarily any of them being his fault. Obviously, got a couple of scores on the ground, but tell us how we actually played, mate. And then the important question, as a Steelers fan, who do you actually want to see starting week five? It's tricky, and I, I have an inkling I'm in a strange minority group in the Steelers in terms of my opinion here. Um, so I'll kind of go with what my opinion is and what I think the consensus is. But in terms of the actual game, say the interceptions really were a lot on the receivers and some of them it was, you know, good coverage from the Jets, which is a hard sentence to say. Um, but um, say Chase Claypool needs to wake up really. And, you know, it's, you know, he, he probably would be better in a London game because being from Canada, he'd be used to the cold weather. He actually might be able to perform. But um, <laughs> bitterness aside, Pickett did look like he kind of ignited the team a little bit. It was something different. And a lot of the talk inside sort of Steel Nation at the minute really is that Matt Canada is not the guy to be doing your play calling. And 
Trubisky didn't, you know, Trubisky was basically saying that, no, I'm a fan. Of, you know, I think Canada's been calling games great. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you'll say if you're trying to keep your job. And Matt Canada was the only person keeping him in a job. And um, to be honest, I don't think Trubisky suits Matt Canada's play calling. I don't think he necessarily was the quarterback that we thought we were getting necessarily. Um, and Pickett will have more variety and more about him, but I think the consensus was at the, t- you know, the beginning of the season that they wanted him to sit the whole year and learn sort of a Mahomes behind Alex Smith situation, albeit I do think that Alex Smith is would have been a better, you know, even now probably is a better hold behind than Mitch Trubisky. Um, but say so as soon as he came on, the game sort of flipped because the Steelers were getting pretty much, you know, done over in that game until Pickett came in. Suddenly there was a bit of a spark. He, you know, two rushing touchdowns were effectively quarterback sneaks. So again, in the same way that the inceptions take with a pinch of salt, take the two touchdowns with a pinch of salt as well. You know, 10 completions for 120 yards isn't fantastic, but six carries for 15 yards means there's certainly variety there that may not have been there before. Um, Long term, though, and this is where I'm a bit different, I think a lot of Steelers fans were saying, right, it's picket time, just let him run, just you know, give him the season to learning game, etc. And yeah, let's get picket and pickings going as a combined together. I mean, I think we're going to see the word pick quite often when it comes to the Steelers this year. Uh, maybe not necessarily for those two, but um, I sort of looking at the Steelers sort of next few games, I would be inclined to start Trubisky against the Bills on the basis that I don't want Kenny Pickett playing against that defense. I just, I would rather literally use Trubisky as one final lamb to the slaughter in many respects. Let Pickett sort of take some more game film, learn from what he did against the Jets and then either stick to the original bye week plan or go for it in week six if Trubisky, re- you know, if Trub- you know, Trubisky gets so slotted in the press that that's going to be game over, I don't know. But I struggle. I, I know I'm in a minority. Most of say, you know, starting against Bills, Trubisky is no longer a thought. Um, I can see Josh shaking his head, so I'm going to let him come up with a contrary. Yeah. No- well, well, no, I think that you are completely on the right track. Allow for Trubisky to be the lamb to the slaughter, but not for one week. You need him for four. You know, look at that yeah, schedule. You that's my thought. Look at the schedule as the defences, not so much the overall team. The overall teams are insane yeah. anyway, but the, but the defences, you know, you've got the Bills, away at the Bills, home to the Bucks, away to the Dolphins, away to the Eagles. You know, as as a Browns fan, I want you to put Pick Pickett in there because Pickett will be run so far out of town after those four games, and his confidence will be an absolute zero. Be my guest, completely destroy the kid's confidence. But you know, from a neutral perspective and from a Steelers fan perspective, Mitch Mitch Trubisky's stock is you know lower than the floor anyway. You know, you got nothing to lose there. Don't don't slaughter your. your who's supposed to be considered the savior of Pittsburgh quarterbacking, you know, going forward, you know, he's the hometown kid, you know, he knows where the flipping, what, what, what was the, uh, what, what was the trope at the start of the season? He knows where the, where the coffee machine is or something like that. You know, you know, he knows the place, yeah, you know, he knows the place backwards and forwards. He gets Pittsburgh, et cetera, et cetera. No one's saying that if he's throwing 14 picks after the Bills, Bucks, and Dolphins come to town. 
you know, and I'm not even saying that as someone that's saying that he's going to throw a lot of picks. I'm saying that as someone as you're playing those defenses, you're going to throw yeah. picks. My, my the, the exception is having, and this that surprised me as well, with my fantasy head on, the Dolphins are the second worst team against quarterbacks when it comes to fantasy points. Mm-hmm. And it's not a perfect sort of descriptor, but it's an interesting stat. Only the Lions are worse. Um, in fantasy land, but and I and I say that in terms of fantasy football, not in terms of in my head. I was um, say it's dink so I can see him. I can see him getting in halfway through that game potentially. Hmm. Yeah, but it's dinking and dinking I, I'm just hoping, yeah, that they go Trubisky now until the bye week. Let him take the press beating for the horrible offenses. Come yep. back against. I mean, the first week back after the bye is the Saints, which isn't a great defense to be up against either. But it would be the natural progression to go for. And then you play the Bengals on a prime time game just after that. So it's not an easy run, and I can see why the you know the older soundbites of the beginning of the season were playing you know play Trubisky for the season and pick it starts next year. So I mean, to be honest, the biggest surprise for me. Oh, not of the weekend, but certainly for me with the Steelers, was that they actually pulled the trigger in this game, uh, even with the Jets. I I still don't understand it necessarily. I know we didn't have much of a spark, but it's if your plan is to let Trubisky run to the end of the season, you stick to it. And it's very unlike Tomlin to turn it away. And there's a part of me that thinks this is Matt Canada trying to save his own skin in all honesty, and I think that's futile right now. I think the fans are chasing him out as much as Trubisky. Um, so it felt like a bit of a desperate roll for dice. So we'll see how it goes, but it's very much uh, not sunny in Pittsburgh. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, yeah look, so that was the biggest surprise for me. Like I say, Tomlin's normally very principled, isn't he? And if he said something, generally speaking, he sticks to it. So it was a bit strange. Just in terms of the other side, um, obviously another win on the road for the Jets. That's two wins against AFC North opponents on the road. Zach Wilson's first action of the season. I think it's safe to say he looked a little bit rusty. Um, but I think there are promising signs for this Jets team. We've talked about it enough with some of the young playmakers that they've got. You know, in terms of Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, um, Corey Davis, obviously not a young player, but he certainly stepped up as a veteran, certainly down the stretch yesterday. Um, you know, came up big. I think times are actually quite promising for the Jets. Um, you know, but again, there there are a number of teams that are at two and two. The Jets are one of them that, you know, will win win games you probably don't expect them to, and then lose ones um, that you thought they actually would go on and win. Um, you know, so certainly um, an interesting few weeks ahead for both of those two teams. My second, well, my third and final statement then, fellas, I mentioned it in terms of what I loved. Um, and I'm going to link this into a little bit in terms of week um, number three as well, is just in terms of the London games. So I mentioned earlier that it was great to have it back. I mentioned the fact that it felt like a big occasion again. Green Bay obviously do complete the set of 32 teams. Um, so every team will have played at least once in the UK, which, like I say, is an incredible thing to even consider. Um, I always say to people, can you imagine the Premier League sending you know, Manchester City versus Liverpool away or something like that? It just wouldn't happen, would it? Um, so really bizarre, um, but great nonetheless. In terms of this week's games, though, fellas, I want to talk to you about how on earth does American football defy physics? How on earth does that ball hit the post 
come down at basically ninety degree angle, hit the upright, and then bounce out. I mean, it was a crazy finish. Um, plenty to talk about in terms of that game, but it was dominated by field goals. The one thing that really frustrated me, and what we haven't got better at in fourteen years, is American commentators and some of their ridiculous stereotypes saying that the Brits just love people to kick footballs. They just it's love like, the kicking. They love the field goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for Harry Kane to come out for the Saints. Yeah, that that final few <laughs> minutes, though, fellas, it was bonkers, wasn't it? Um, Will looks hitting from sixty. Greg Josie fitting from 47, and then Will looks from 61. Like, so basically, as close as you can be without it going over. Um, probably in the end, one of the more entertaining London games in terms of the finish, I would say, Josh. What do you reckon? Absolutely. I joked, um, I joked in our chat that when Will Lutz was going to take that kick, that 80 to 90% of that stadium was begging for him to to get it over so that they could have overtime. I remember one of the one of the all-time classics in London was the Bengals against the Redskins where it went all the way to the very last say I think it ended in a tie as well if memory serves me correctly. Yes, it did. There were some missed field goals and all sorts going on in that game as well and it actually went through to being a tie and that's probably the best game of which there's been I think that the Brits just love an entertaining, shocking, you know, things can go anywhere game. And I think that's because of the fact you've got a massive neutral base that go down there as well. You know, I think that Americans still find it quite weird that, you know, the, the game is filled with all sorts of different shirts of different teams. You know, it's not just the fans of the two teams that go down there. It's a celebration of football. So, you know, we'll happily take whatever games come our way, it seems, just as long as they provide their own entertainment. I think that we'd even cheer a 13-13 snooze fest <laughs> as, long as, it, uh, as long as it brought about some drama. And this one definitely had drama, but also it had the typical underdog story coming back, you know, an Andy Dalton-led Saints team actually looking the more likely to win the game at one point despite being slaughtered in the first half um so you know it, it had everything you wanted from a british perspective for sure yeah definitely james i'm going to throw a question to you just with your fancy sort of um yeah. head on to some extent i guess but um two receivers really sort of led the way for their respective teams in this one justin jefferson after a few quiet weeks was really back with a bang in this one um, 10 for 147, and obviously added the rushing touchdown as well. But Chris Olave on the other side, he really has all of a sudden emerged as almost the primary go-to guy in this New Orleans Saints offence. They probably expected a lot out of him, obviously, coming out in the first round. But if you look at the rest of the wide receivers, you know there's a lot of people that seemingly have been on the Saints forever in a day in terms of Traquan Smith. Um, Marquez Callaway, you know, people like this that have, been, like I say, always been on the depth job but have never really amounted to anything. But in Chris Olave, mate, they, the same seems to have found a player here, don't they? Yeah, I mean, if you ask a lot of sort of fancy people um, overall, they were saying before the season is out, Olave will be ahead of Michael Thomas and that's regardless of whether Michael Thomas gets injured. And if he gets injured, that just accelerates. And um, proof of concept right here, I think. Um, I think that switch has already been made. Um, rookie wide receivers in recent years have been Preston and Jefferson himself was a prime example. And Olave is one of the options to be this year. Um, I think 
we'll get there. But Drake London was potentially going to be one for Atlanta. But, um, yeah, you flatter to deceive this week. But Alave has been hitting reasonably consistently as well. Um, granted, the change of quarterback, I'm surprised how how you know, he's, how well he adapted to that, going from Winston to Dalton. Essentially, it seems like it didn't really phase him at all, which is a fantastic you know, trait to be able to have really in your in your uh, in your receiving core. So I think when Michael Thomas gets back, it's a quite dangerous one-two punch, even even with the quarterback question marks you've got really. So um, yeah, it's exciting times. Alave is very much a dynasty darling right now. I think. Yeah, most definitely. Big win for the Vikings, ending up 28-25 with that double dunk, like I say, depriving us of overtime. Worryingly for the Saints, it moves them to 1-3, and three, and like I say, a lot of that early season optimism um, is very, very quickly draining away. They need to very quickly get back into the win column. We've talked about a few of the games, fellas. Let's run through a few more, and I'll get you some commentary from you as we go through them. Cleveland 20, Atlanta 23. Um, plenty of points left on the field for Cleveland. Me and Joshua just breaking it all down on the Cleveland Brit podcast, part of the Full 10 Yards Network. So go and check that out for a more in-depth review. But just in general terms, um, Atlanta just ran and ran and ran second half. Marcus Mariota only completed one pass in the second half and only seven for the entire game. But the Falcons back in the wing column, they moved to two and two as Cleveland dropped to two and two. Arizona eventually woke up and found a way to get over the Carolina Panthers. It ended up being 26-16, to 16, but 16 of those Cardinals points actually coming in the fourth quarter. This was a really embarrassing performance at the half, wasn't it, Josh? And we've talked about Cliff Kingsbury before. I know you're not a huge Kyler Murray fan, and that's probably me being polite to say you're not a huge Kyler Murray fan. Um, but this was a really, really... Poor performance, and four weeks in, Carolina have got to be, if not the 32nd best team, now better than the 31st best team in the NFL, and the Cardinals really struggled here, didn't they, mate? Yeah, I'm someone that's tried to give the Cardinals a pretty wide berth just because of how talented the roster seemed on paper. Uh, my... My patience has been exhausted after this week. Um, I've been slated on the Power Rankings podcast, which you can get on Wednesday, um, you know, for having the Cardinals as high as I did. I now have learnt my lesson. It, it it was painful. It was so painful. And honestly, it, it does start at Kyler Murray. The guy can't see past his line. And when he rolls out now, people know he's going to roll out left or right. They just follow him. And then he just goes around in a circle. And that's all you had. All game. I had money riding on the game. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm crying in my hands thinking, Baker Mayfield's going to lose me 500 quid. I can't believe it. But then Baker did Baker things. And I wonder if Baker Mayfield makes it past Halloween. I really do. Uh, which is shocking when you consider that Sam Darnold is the next best alternative. And... You might as well have a cardboard cutout playing at quarterback. So, yeah, there's there's massive issues in Carolina at the moment. They start at QB, and outside of McCaffrey and maybe DJ Moore, you don't really have too much else going on either. So, you know, the Panthers aren't great. Stupidly enough, I still wouldn't have them as one of the bottom two teams in the league. Um, they're close. They are close. <laughs> 
I look forward to those power rankings to see who you found. Oh, yes, don't worry. I look forward to that indeed. Uh, maybe one of the teams that you think is worse is the Washington Commanders because they continue to look pretty abysmal. Uh, they go down 25-10 to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Cooper Rush getting it done. I think he becomes... Is he the first Cowboy to win his first four games or something I read the other day? Or he's certainly joined a pretty illustrious group. Um, he's doing a pretty stellar job, isn't he? Fed it in for... Dak Prescott. Um, so the Cowboys they improve to three and one after that uh, opening day defeat. And in the AFC South battle, the Tennessee Titans twenty four, the Colts seventeen. The Colts really paying the price here for sleepwalking at the start of the game. They were down fourteen to nothing uh, before they even really got going. Huge day for Mo Ali Cox um, from the Colts. We've all we've been sort of saying, haven't we, outside of Michael Pittman, who's going to actually step up? Well, Mo Ali Cox did this week, six for eighty-five yards with two touchdowns. But James, this is a division that seemingly is going to be wide open. We'll we'll throw the Jags in there. We'll get onto that game against the Eagles shortly. But these games always feel like they're going to be really, really important come the end of the season. And for the Titans to actually go on the road and get this one, um, huge win for them, wasn't it? Yeah, this. This was huge. And in some ways, this game felt almost like a disappointment in a way. But then again, that's again with my fancy hat on and Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, in many people in fancy was a 101 or 102 kind of pick. He did 20 carries for 42 yards, one reception for a yard and lost a fumble, which is not the stat line you paid for. And in some, when he doesn't get going, that team doesn't seemingly get going. Matt Ryan's not being what they want him to be. Michael Pittman was ineffective. And they have a tight end room that's actually pretty talented and that they like to use, but it's very much spread between a lot of them. Just there are some weeks where some will be better than others. Um, when you're Tennessee, if you've got Derek Henry, you can inside the box all you want. Hill will still try and run through you and usually succeed. And was just one of those weeks this week. So, um, again, this is one of those games that we might look back at the end of the season, might be a decision maker. It could be that it's I think when Tennessee play the Jags, I think might be possibly the most key game though this season. Okay. Yeah, it could, yeah, it could well be shaping up that way, isn't it? I mean, Indianapolis certainly outgained um, in terms of yardage in this one massively. Tennessee, if you look at it, Ryan Tannehill, 17 of 21, but only for 137 yards. No receiver getting beyond 38 yards. You know, it, it was... It seems a real struggle um, for the Titans offensively at the moment, but um, the Colts can't seemingly get out their own way a week after defeating the Chiefs, um, you know, back down to earth, big style. We touched on 48, Seattle 45, Detroit, just a wild, wild game, wasn't it? We mentioned the score of Garmy, um, but just great performances from both of the quarterbacks in this one, Geno Smith and Jared Goff, both excelling um, and big days on the ground for Rashad Penny and Jamal Williams, respectively, as well. Um, so, yeah, plenty of points on offer in that one. Um, it was a really entertaining game, which we expected it may well be going in, because although we don't think either of those sides potentially are going to be involved come the real business end of the season, they're certainly as fun to watch as anybody has been so far. Uh, New England 24 Green Bay 27, eventually, with the final kick of overtime. Just a really bizarre game, this one, Josh, wasn't it? Like you say, you sort of watch it to start with and you see Brian Hoyer go down and 
you just think to yourself, well, we all know which way this is going to go now. Would it just never, ever happen, did it? Green Bay really did trudge their way through this one, um, you know, and ultimately had to get a touchdown to actually send it to overtime in the fourth quarter. And like I say, they relied on a Mason Crosby 31-yarder to win it as time expired. Um, but, you know, for me, there's still a lot of question marks about this Green Bay side. And for New England, they'll probably be quite pleased in terms of the fact that Bailey Zappi didn't disappear up his own backside. He came in there, he looked, you know, <laughs> relatively competent, given the expectation level that he would have come in with. Um, and obviously, with that ground game of Harris and Stevenson, you know, they, they kept the game close throughout, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And honestly, this is this is a result of Green Bay's own doing. Green Bay's offense looked like week one against the Vikings, where they just did not get anything going whatsoever. Their wide receivers seemed off, um, apart from a couple of really flashy plays. And then outside of that, they 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 seemed to just be at sea, possibly because they just weren't prepped for what a zappy game plan might look like. So potentially the confusion sort of came into there. So from a defensive point of view, I can sort of understand conceding a few drives to that. But when it comes down to the Packers not being able to put away the Patriots on on their offense and on Aaron Rodgers, you, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers threw a pick that was, you know, of someone that is several tiers below him in terms of, you know, it was essentially a gift and you can't blame that on a wide receiver. Uh, I know that apparently it was a curl route and the fact that the cornerback telegraphed the route um, before the wide receiver got there, but you've got to see that. He, he was there before he threw the ball. Rogers can't make that throw. And I feel like Rogers is not the guy that's going to be able to elevate this group to bigger and better things now simply because the team's not there for him now and also can the Packers please use Aaron Jones like he's a top running back because it ain't happening right now and it's killing them yeah it's a transitional period it seems for them isn't it ironically of the three quarterbacks that actually played in the game the lowest rated quarterback of the three Aaron Rodgers better rating for Bailey Zappi and Brian Hoyer uh, James, you said you got a stat. Was that the stat? Have I just stole it from you, mate? Or have you got another one? Nope. Um, Bailey Zappi, uh, Zappi's quarter, um, sorry, his touchdown throw to Devontae Parker was the first uh, passing touchdown this season for a rookie quarterback. Um, gran granted, there's not Ooh. been many, you know, many games for them this season, but uh, yeah, because pickets were both rushing touchdowns, it was the first passing touchdown. Um, and in it's there's been like everywhere going around in ten in fantasy world again. It's like who started Bailey Zappi? and I'm here shyly saying that in my 32 team league, I actually was forced to sign because I had Trey Lance. So that was six <laughs> points I didn't deserve, and that's six points that might have beaten my wife in a matchup. Oh dear, you'll be Good you'll Lord. be popular then in your household. You'll be popular. Of Josh, all you've, got weeks you've, got happen. you've got a stat as well, Josh, not to be outdone. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, supersede the stat. The uh, Zappy touchdown is the first touchdown by a rookie quarterback not from the Packers at Lambeau Field ever. 
that was a stat. That that was a stat that came out on the telecast last night. And when you consider just how long Lambeau Field's been around, yeah, that's uh, oh, and also the Packers are now the winningest team in NFL history. They finally took that off the Bears with that win last night, seeing as the Bears did not win uh, this week. Well, that's a lovely segue to the next few games. Thank you very much for that, my friend. It's almost like we rehearsed that, but I can guarantee you we didn't. So, yeah, we'll go Chicago 12, the New York Giants 20. Um, yeah, just two two poor sides. It's got to be said. I know the Giants are 3-1 and one now, um, but I've no idea how they've managed to get to 3-1. and one. Well, I do know how they've managed it. They've just run and run and run with Saquon Barkley, haven't they? 31 attempts in this one. For 146 yards, he took plenty of direct snaps as well. Um, but yeah, obviously massive injury concerns for the Giants moving forward in terms of Daniel Jones and potentially Tyrod Taylor. Um, we could get Davies Webb at London this weekend. Wouldn't that be a joy for everybody? Um, it still might be a better showing now than what Justin Fields seemingly continues to put out for the Chicago mm-hmm. Bears. Another poor day, although there was a seemingly a more concerted effort to actually push the ball down the field this week. Darnell Mooney getting a bit more involved in the game plan. Um, but ultimately, the Bears fall to two and two. Um, they could only manage the 12 points. And all of those were Michael Badgley field goals. So, yeah, not exactly a pretty game. Um, we touched on the London game plenty. Minnesota 28, the Saints 25. So, let's talk around the Chargers 34-24 over Houston. Because of other results, Houston now the only team without a win on the season. An important win, though, James, for the Chargers here to actually get back um, to an even record of 2-2. Two and two. And I suppose even more importantly, no further injuries and Justin Herbert looking a little bit more like Justin Herbert this week. Yeah, I think that was the key one. It's coming out of it without a major you know, additional injury to add to the list. So the defence is still rather banged up and will be for a few weeks, I think. And hence, in some ways, that probably contributed to Houston having a go at getting back into the game late on. But, um, yeah, the the offense seemingly is starting to sort of rouse itself back again, sort of, you know, stop ruling themselves out of it. So that's all good news. Nice to see Austin Eckler finally uh, showing up. You know, last season's equal top touchdown scorer coming up with three, his first three of the season um, yesterday. So it's it's not all doom and gloom and it's not all over for the Chargers. No, certainly not. Certainly not by a long stretch. Um, Philadelphia incre- improved their record to four and now the only undefeated side, but they had a little bit of a scare. They spotted the Jags a 14-point head start um, with a interception pick six and um, Trevor Lawrence finding Jamal Agnew to give them that 14-point lead. But seemingly then after that, fellas, every highlight that I've seen, I think Trevor Lawrence must have had a bit of butter on those fingers. I know it was incredibly wet, but he seemed to mishandle snaps. He seemed to fumble the ball away. We've been praising him in recent weeks, but he actually had four fumbles yesterday and somehow managed to lose all four of them. Um, Added to the, um, the fact that he was intercepted once and was sacked four times. Um, ultimately, it was a game that the Jags made too many mistakes, Josh, to overcome. What is a pretty decent Eagles side anyway, let's be honest. They, the Jags would have needed to have played a pretty perfect game. And although they got a perfect start, they couldn't sustain it. And as has been the case, the Eagles, particularly with that running game, Miles Sanders 
seemingly jumping out of the pack this week. It's been a committee approach in general terms, but they rode Mar Sanders as the hot hand all, all game in this one. He finished up with 134 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. We've said it a few times now, mate. The Eagles do look like the most rounded side in the league, don't they? They really do. And, you know, this is the first time that they faced some actual adversity and they overcame it relatively easily towards the end. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence's butterfingers malfunction definitely helped. But when you look at it, just in terms of the way in which they were pretty much all the way through the game, um, you know, the 14-point deficit didn't really seem to phase them. Um, you make your own luck in this league as well, and the Eagles did very well at that. And, you, you know, it just kind of speaks to momentum. You know, the Eagles have got an insane wave of momentum at the moment that they're just looking to carry on from. I think the Jags are still learning how to win, um, especially against some of these bigger sides as well. Um, you know, and I, I mean that obviously in the greatest respects. It's definitely not a... You know, it's definitely not a dig. You know, against these bigger teams, you can get overawed, and you know, you can look at big leads. And we've seen big leads get um, given against teams that you know you, you look at it on paper and you think you shouldn't be having these leads. And it's about whether or not you can convert that into wins. We've seen teams being able to claw them back. We've seen teams that have you know not surrendered, and you know the Jags just need to get a little better when it comes to that. Um, so much closer than I thought it was going to be, but the Eagles showing their true form that wills out in the end. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Uh, the Raiders, I mentioned that Houston are the only winless team. That's because the Raiders got their first win of the season at home. They defeat the Broncos 23 points to 32. Big game here for Josh Jacobs, who, again, you know, seemingly a back that has been a little bit out in the cold, but 28 attempts for 144 yards, also added five receptions through the air. Devonta Adams a lot more involved this week as well with 13 targets as the Raiders um, seemingly find a way to get things done on offence. And despite probably Russell Wilson's best game in a Broncos jersey to date, uh, the team's still coming up short. The ground game really held in check and really concerning injury news in this one, James. Javante Williams, a torn ACL, plus further damage to the leg in various different places. That's season over for him. Um, you know, This is a division that we said was going to be competitive. You've now got two teams at two and two, one at three and one, one at one and three through the uh, the first quarter of the season. Um, how do you sort of see this one playing out over the course of the next few weeks? Um, and which of these two teams in particular from this game do you think when we're sort of talking in four weeks' time at the halfway stage will have the better record? It's a tough one because Javante Williams was probably one of the Broncos' linchpin players and was going to be, you know, gradually more of a focal point. Melvin Gordon can't seem to keep hold of the ball for more than three plays in terms of just fumble after fumble really and he's now potentially going to become your lead back which is a scary prospect considering recent form and it's a team that pretty much is pro you know you know has been using the run game a lot recently and you're now going to have to say to russell look start cooking please you know get get the barbecue out do whatever you need to do grab your sandwich go whatever sandwich joint you want just Get going, get Cotton Sutton, Jerry Judy, any anyone in involved on it, basically. And I think the teething problems are still going to be there for a little too long. 
So I think the Broncos are in serious trouble. And even their defense that they were saying was going to be, you know, what they were going to ride into it is looking penetrable. And the Raiders found that out pretty perfectly. The Raiders now suddenly seem to have found a way to use Jacobs and Adams properly. Um, albeit they seem to be still inconsistent in the way they do it. Uh, but I think long-term, it'll stand against it. But this is another division. We talk, we touched on it last week. It's going to be close all the way. I think all the way it's going to be close. Yeah, most definitely. Like you say, still some teething problems for the Broncos to work their way through. Um, but Josh McDaniels breathing a lot easier after his first victory as the Raiders coach. We touched on it earlier, the Jet, uh, the Giants. Sorry, not the Jets. Uh, sorry. I get my teeth in. The Jets, not the Giants. They beat the Steelers 24 points to 20. Uh, Brees Hall with the winning touchdown with about 15 seconds left on the clock. Uh, so that takes us to Buffalo 23, Baltimore 20. Um, again, another topsy-turvy on this one. Baltimore opened up to a big lead, um, 14 points to three, 17 points to three at one stage. So 20 points to three at one stage if I keep working yeah. my way through the uh, the scoreboard. <laughs> so, yeah, 17-point lead. But 20 unanswered then from the Bills. They come all the way back. This was a game going into it, Josh, that everybody was saying, look, these two offences have been phenomenal. Everyone was saying, back the over. It'll be a huge high-scoring affair. But both of these defences came to play. Um, you know, in terms of statistically, the probably the worst game from a stats point of view for Jackson and, and Allen that they've had so far this year. But I think these two teams both proved that they're going to be there or they're about to come the shake-up. Um, because it was a, a really good game um, and a close one between two very good sides. Yeah, I think that this was um, this was a real show of Buffalo's resolve, especially considering that they went down so far. Um, the Ravens obviously have a hell of a lot of talent themselves. They're definitely a top 10 team. We've said that pretty much all year, and they do keep proving that. I think that Lamar Jackson's improved as a quarterback and you know it's definitely in and around you know best quarterback of the year conversation but that you do sort of wonder if he's able to close out games in the way in which he was able to in his first couple of years as a quarterback this is the second game now where the ravens are giving up a multi-score lead um Evidently against good teams, but still, when you're in those positions and you're supposed to have one of the best rosters in the country, uh, well, in the world, you, you know, do you really look to that as a, uh, a, a, a as an excuse? And I don't think that you should if you're a Ravens fan. Um, the the interception that Lamar Jackson took, of which kind of got Buffalo, you, you know, it was a fourth down, which means that realistically all it was was a, it, it was no better than the punt, essentially. But it moved them from the one-yard line, which would have been difficult, put them onto the 20 and got them, you know, already, you know, with some momentum swinging as well. So questions around the Ravens just on whether or not they can finish teams off. But both teams can rest assured that they are definitely one of the better teams after this week. Yeah, it was a really strange drive, that one, wasn't it? Because it started actually on their own five-yard line and it, it took up nearly 10, well, just over 10 minutes, James, a game clock. And as Josh alluded to there, they ended up fourth and two from the Buffalo two. Well, it actually started, didn't it, as a 
first and goal. They got it to second and one from the Buffalo one, then went backwards, third and four, ended up gaining them two yards. So they were faced with fourth and two. One of those, if you've driven 94, 95 yards, you probably feel really, really awful to only come away with three. But obviously, the fact that they didn't come away with anything meant that Buffalo could do exactly what they did, which was drive up the field, start taking some knees once they were in field goal range. Is that one of those situations where you just have to accept the fact, well, look, it looked for all the world we were going to get seven here, but we'll take the three or trust their defence, you know, is that a call that actually, you know, and not just saying this in hindsight, but actually even at the time you just look at it and say, do you know what, you've got to get the points on the board to take the lead here. Uh, it, I think you did there in that situation, but it's, that's one of those borderlines where you can, you can fall either side and look like a genius or an idiot, and it just wasn't their day yesterday, basically. Um, it's, it's one of those where I think Buffalo proved how to manage a game in even in difficult in a difficult situation for them essentially, and uh, Baltimore pretty much did the opposite. They they showed you how you can throw it away from what was a pretty decent position. Um, you know, it's it's one of those where at fourth and two, I was like, yeah, you're probably just going to run this in with Lamar, aren't you? Basically, it's what normally happens in this situation, or it'll be some kind of backward slant to Mark Andrews. And then heads heads up to the corner and say suddenly from them being, you know, even turnover on downs at the two-yard line, you're giving them a lot of work to do. But interception in the end zone, starting them off at the 20, it's, it's suddenly a lot more easy to uh, obtain and they managed it. Yeah, I can say that you could easily go for it on that because you don't want to give the Bills a sniff. You know, obviously you have to kick it back off and you basically have the same situation of, you know, score against us. And they were very likely to at that point. But you can't take an interception in the end zone. That was the one thing you couldn't do. Give them it on the two-yard line and force the pressure. Absolutely. Don't give it to them on the 20 and give them that momentum swing. Yeah, like I say, they're two very good sides. Wouldn't be surprised if we see them facing off again at some point later on in the season. And the final game to look back on was a very entertaining Sunday night football, made up for the one the previous week, I feel. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, 41. Tampa Bay, 31. Um, always felt as though the Chiefs had this well in hand. They were up by double digits for plenty of it. And um, obviously the Bucks getting a a late touchdown to add an air of respectability to the scoreline. This was a pretty big statement game, though, Josh, from the Chiefs, wasn't it? Who've had some question marks in recent weeks. Um, All things didn't seem well in terms of the relationship between Mahomes and the offensive coordinator last week. Um, There were some questions around some of the play calling, all of the usual things that come out when a team loses, don't get me wrong, but it certainly seemed to be bubbling along. Um, but this was a really good answer, wasn't it? A very, very dominant performance, particularly on that defensive side of the ball. Really dominant against a team that they don't, you know, they've obviously had all this bad feeling about because of um, the Super Bowl. I know that was now two years ago and they've played since, but, you know, it was a hotly contested matchup last time. Um, this one seemed a hell of a lot more comfortable. They made life difficult for Brady in the Bucks' offense. 
they had the running game going really well. I thought that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had probably one of his better games, if not, dare I say, a breakout game. Um, Patrick Mahomes looked his, you know, superb self. I mean, that one, that one highlight of him with a jump pass in a really awkward, stupid position, somehow making it work. You know, it's typical Mahomes. Um, you know, this this is the point of the season where you go, you know, this is it. Yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see if they do kick on from here. Well, and just in terms of Tampa, James, like I say, they were obviously behind on the scoreboard for a lot of it. But you mentioned Jonathan Taylor and his disappointing stat line earlier. The Tampa Bay team, six rushing attempts for three yards as a team between them. <laughs> Pretty, pretty rough day at the office. Uh, Landed for net minus three yards. So, yeah, it's a really, really tough one. But in terms of the books, we've talked a lot about them in recent weeks not having the weapons. Good to see Evans and Godwin back, I think, because of the the, the state of that NFC South. Let's face it, the books are going to be fine, aren't they? They'll coast their way, yeah. I would imagine, into the postseason, won't they, mate? Yeah, I think it'll be comfortable. It's it's one of those strange ones where when you look at the rushing stats and you think, oh god, they've had a terrible day. You look at the fancy box score, uh, eighteen and fourteen in one of my leagues. It, they just were just basically extra receivers, and in some ways, that's just what you expect from Tom Brady, I suppose. Um, certainly in in this day and age. Um, but yeah, Evans going off. Nice to see Godwin back, not injured and. Let's hope that that actually remains for his sake more than anything, because he's been battered by injury for a few years now, I feel. And yeah, the books will be fine long term. It's just a case of these games against elite teams, so to speak. Um, It's whether they've got enough left in the tank to get it over the line. And I think a lot of this is going to be injury dependent now. Yeah, but like you say, certainly a good Sunday night football to to round off the week. We've obviously got Monday night football to come uh, to round off the week. The Rams in action. Who are they playing, fellas? It completely slipped my mind. Who are the Rams got? It's the 49ers. There you go. Rams 49ers to round off the week. Update on the Pickens League. And I've got to do this because we've been told we've got to do this because Joshie's other half is top of the league. So she wants us to give give her a shout out. So, Louise, top of the table, 41 points, keeping Josh at bay, miles behind Josh, he's on 40. So, yeah, enjoy that one-point lead, Louise. Um, I'm, uh, where am I? Seventh, seventh. And James, where's James? Little Keep bit scrolling, it's 21st. 21st, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, all still to play for, though. Plenty, uh, plenty of time to get involved. Tight at the top, as they say. Um, so yeah, looking forward to another week of that because we'll start it all again, won't we? Week five just around the corner, obviously, another London game. Um, so plenty to look forward to in terms of the weekend. The Packers taking on the Giants, Broncos, Colts starts us off for the week on Thursday night football, and then your primetime games this weekend are the Ravens and Bengals in Sunday night football, Chiefs and Raiders Monday night football. It'll be interesting to see which game Sky pick this week. Because looking at the Pickhams, everybody thinks they're pretty one-sided this week. Let's just put it that way. I've actually seen the Bills have been picked by 99% of people, James, against your uh, Steelers. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see which one. Who's the 1%? Yeah, that's James. <laughs> no, that's why I, I, I would like to know that 1%, one. <laughs> that 1% is people going for the contrarian just because of the contrarian. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what does win now? 
<laughs> it will be interesting to see you, Sky, actually do plump for in some of the games because, like you say, they they appear on, on paper at least to be one-sided. But the beauty of the NFL, we'll be sitting here this time next week going, how on earth did they win that game? And how on earth yeah. did they throw that one away? That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. We will be back next week. Steve should be back from the States. James, it's been a pleasure having you on the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's some more yeah. holiday coming up anyway, pal. So you will be back. I think Josh is away for a couple of weeks. I am indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, next Thursday I go away. So, yeah, not the one coming the next two after. You can definitely have off me, mate. There you go. So, yeah, we might yeah. all get James back on, mate. But, no, it's been a pleasure, mate, having you on the last couple of weeks. Insightful, as always. In terms of insightful, if you want more content from the full 10 yards, and all of our network channels. Make sure you're following us on all the socials, the Go For Two pod later on in the week, previewing these games for next week in a bit more depth. Betting podcast as usual. Josh won 500 odd quid this weekend, so the guys do know what they're talking about because we would always follow their advice sensibly. And obviously plenty of teams with their own channels as part of the network as we continue to expand and grow throughout the course of the season. We'll be back, though, next Monday to review everything that goes on in week five. Enjoy Tottenham, those of you that are going. I know there's plenty that are excited and looking forward to that one. And we will be back to review it all next week. We will see you very, very soon.